I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Well, uh, I caught a mouse in my basement. Again. Here I was, full of hubris, thinking that I had actually figured out how to finally keep all the pests out of my house, and a mouse came wandering in. Ugh. I like to think I won the war on the flies. I don't see so many flies in my house, and definitely not so many in the basement. And I thought, well, if flies can't get in, there's no way a mouse is getting in. But the mouse found a way in anyways. So that sucks. I got caught in a trap, and I had to get rid of his dead body. That's disgusting. So, that's my life. Uh, I had a friend over tonight. My friend John. Uh, we both sat out on the back deck and, and shot the poop about all sorts of stuff. So, uh, that was interesting. But it did eat into my night. Uh, I started to realize, oh, we're getting closer to 8. Uh, we're getting closer to 8.30. Uh, now it's 9. Now it's 9.30 and I finally said, time for you to go. I have to work in the morning, which is true. But also I have a podcast I want to make. So, that dragged on. Uh, yesterday, I got together with my sister and my brother-in-law. Because I built a nook. I have a closet slash crawl space <coughs> upstairs by the bathroom. And it's huge. You open the closet doors. Uh, I got some shirts hanging and stuff. But if you pull it aside, it's like the closet from Narnia. You go in there and there's a whole world back there of storage, but uh, wasn't really using it for much, so I moved stuff around. My brother-in-law built a false wall to cover up this one long part of the crawl space, and it's kind of a big open area, so I stuck a chair in there, uh, some bookshelves, some lights, I painted it, did the whole thing, and now it's my reading nook, where I'm going to be spending most of my time doing editing and other fun things. So, after he helped me do that, we went out and went to a restaurant where you sit outside and uh, have something to eat. Not nearly as terrifying as the last restaurant I was at with my friend Ronnie, where everyone was sitting elbow to elbow. This one, everyone was spaced out, so you felt a little less creeped out. Yeah, it seemed fine. Uh, Friday night, uh, nothing. Recorded a podcast. Watched a movie, which wasn't any good. But I still had a good time. Uh, that's pretty much it for a sad little man. Uh, I got nothing else to report. Uh, I guess we'll just dive into the story. we're getting closer to the end of this book just as we are getting closer to the end of summer my kids are talking about going back to school uh, where they're going to do a hybrid thing where they're in class sometimes and online others they're still going to carry back disease and kill me but uh, at least they're happy because they get to see their friends well with that uh, complaining about myself let's learn a little bit more about uh, uh, Mark Twain 
Uh, thank for uh, kickassfacts.com, we learn that Mark Twain hated Jane Austen with a passion, saying, Every time I read Pride and Prejudice, I want to dig her up and beat her over the skull with her own shin bone. Every time I read Pride... So then stop reading Pride and Prejudice, and I think you'll probably be fine. He also called uh, the Book of Mormon chloroform in print. So he had a lot of opinions. Uh... Yeah, well, keeping up with tradition, whatthefact.com has got interesting facts about David Letterman. Uh, number one, the hard days. Everyone, before becoming someone great, has to go through hard labor. So did David Letterman. He worked at a local grocery store during his teenage years. <laughs> I got a little bit of uh, politics. David Letterman is not only the man who can bring a smile to any face in the world, but is someone who can get down to serious business as well. He proved that very well when he was voted class smart aleck at his hometown high school, Broad Ripple High. Uh, does the Either they're trying to make a joke there by saying get down to serious business, or they don't realize that class smart, smart aleck is not like a real thing that you're being voted. There's no politics. We'll read one more called In Simple Ways. High can, in his simple ways, turn situations of high. Oh, I think they mean he. Can, in his simple ways, turn situations of distress to jokes. Like the time he once congratulated a tropical storm for being upgraded to a hurricane. Ah, well, well. Let's, uh, move on and read the next few chapters. Chapter 31. Now to return to Tom and Becky's share in the picnic. They tripped along the murky aisles with the rest of the company, visiting the familiar wonders of the cave, wonders dubbed with rather over-descriptive names, such as uh, the drawing room, or the cathedral, or Aladdin's palace, and so on. Presently, the hide-and-seek frolicking began, and Tom and Becky engaged in it with zeal until the excursion became or began to grow a trifle wearisome. Then they wandered down a, a sinuous avenue, holding their candles aloft and reading the tangled webwork of names, dates, post office addresses, and mottos with which the rocky walls had been frescoed in candle smoke. Still drifting along and talking, they scarcely noticed that they were now in a part of the cave whose walls were not frescoed. They smoked their own names under an overhang shelf and moved on. Presently, they came to a place where a little stream of water trickling over a ledge and carrying a limestone sediment with it had, in slow-dragging ages, formed a laced and ruffled Niagara in gleaming and imperishable stone. Tom squeezed a small body uh, behind it in order to illuminate it for Becky's gratification. He found that it curtained a sort of steep natural stairway which was enclosed between two narrow walls and at once the ambition to be a discoverer seized him. Becky responded to his call and they had a smoke mark for the future guidance and started upon their quest. They wound this way and that and far down into the secret depths of the cave and made another mark and branched off in search of novelties to tell the upper world about. In one place uh, they found a spacious cavern with whom ceilings depended a multitude of shining stalactites and the length and circumference of a man's leg. They walked all about it, wondering and admiring, and presently left it by one of the numerous passages that opened it. This shortly brought them to a bewildering spring, whose basin was encrusted with the frostwork of glittering crystals. 
He was in the midst of the cavern, uh, whose walls were supported by many fantastic pillars that had been formed by the joining of the great stalactites and stalagmites together, and the result of the ceaseless water drip for centuries. Under the roof, vast knots of bats had packed themselves together, thousands in a bunch. The lights disturbed the creatures as they came flocking down by hundreds, squeaking and darting furiously at the candles. Tom knew their ways and the danger of this sort of conduct. He seized Becky's hand and hurried her into the first corridor that offered. None too soon, for a bat struck Becky's light out uh, with his wing. While she was passing out of the cavern, the bats chased the children a good distance, but the fugitives plunged into every new passage that offered and at last got rid of the perilous things. Tom found a subterranean lake shortly, which stretched its dim length away until its shape was lost in the shadows. He wanted to explore its borders, uh, but concluded that it would be best to sit down and uh, rest a while first. Now, for the first time, the deep stillness of the place laid a clammy hand upon the spirits of the children. Becky said, Eh, why, I didn't notice, but it never seems so long since I heard any of the others. Yeah, come to think, Becky, we were always away down below them, and I don't know how far away north or south or east or wherever it is. Uh, we couldn't hear them here. Yeah, Becky grew apprehensive. Yeah, I, I wonder how long yeah, we've been down here, Tom. Yeah, we better start back. Yes, I reckon we better. Praps, P-apostrophe-R-A-P-S, praps, well, we better. Can you find the way, Tom? Uh, it's all mixed up, uh, crookedness to me. Now I reckon I can find it. Uh, but then the bats. If they put our candles out, it'll be an awful fix. Let's try some other way so as not to go through there. Yeah, I just had to pause there a second because uh, there was another dead mouse just flat out laying on the floor. I think uh, the new cat that I let down here with me while I record uh, either just killed it now or a while ago. Ugh. Stinks. It's gross. Alright, anyways, well, but I hope we don't get lost. It would be so awful. And the girl shuddered at the thought of the dreadful possibilities. They started through a corridor and traversed it in silence a long way, glancing at each new opening to see if there was anything familiar about the look of it. But they were all strange. Every time Tom made an examination, Becky would watch his face for an encouraging sign, and then he would uh, say cheerily, Oh, it's all right. This ain't the one. Yeah, but we'll come to it right away. But he felt less and less hopeful with each failure, and presently began to turn off into diverging avenues at sheer random and desperate hope of finding the one that he was wanted. He still said it was uh, all right, that there was such a laden dread in his heart, and the words had lost all their ring and sounded just as if he had said, All is lost. Becky clung to his side in an anguished fear and uh, tried uh, hard to keep back the tears. Ah, uh, but they would come. At last she said, Ah, yeah, Tom, never mind the bats. Let's go back that way. Uh, we seem to get worse and worse off all the time. Listen, he said. Profound silence. Silence so deep that even their breathings were conspicuous in the hush. Tom shouted, and the call went echoing down the empty aisles and died out in the distance in a faint sound that resembled a ripple of mocking laughter. Oh, don't do that again, Tom. It's too horrid, said Becky. It's horrid, but I better, Becky. They might hear us, you know. And he shouted again. The might was even a chillier horror than the ghostly laughter. 
So it was confessed to Perishing Hope. The children stood still and listened, but there was no result. Tom turned upon the back uh, to backtrack at once and hurried his steps. It was about a little while before a certain indecision in his manner revealed another fearful fact to Becky. He could not find his way back. Oh, Tom, you didn't make any marks. Becky, I was such a fool, such a fool. I never thought we might want to come back. No, I can't find the way. It's all mixed up. Tom, Tom, we're lost, we're lost. We can never get out of this awful place. Oh, why did we ever have to leave the others? She sank to the ground and burst into such a frenzy of crying that Tom was appalled with the idea that she might die or lose her reason. He sat down by her and put his arms around her, and she buried her face in his bosom. She clung to him. She poured out her terrors. Her unavailing regrets and far echoes turned them all back to jeering laughter. Tom begged her to pluck up hope again, and said she said she could not. He fell into blaming uh, and abusing himself for getting her into the miserable situation. This had better uh, effect. She said that she would try to hope again, uh, but she would get up and follow wherever it might lead, if only he would not talk like that anymore, for he was no more to blame than she, she said. So they moved on again, uh, uh, aimlessly, uh, simply at random, all they could do was uh, to move, just keep moving. For a little while, hope was a show of reviving. Not with any reason uh, to back it, but only because it is a nature to review when the spring has not been taken out of by age and familiarity with failure. Bye-bye. Uh, oh, that's back. Tom and Becky's candle, and uh, Tom took Becky's candle and blew it out. This economy meant so much. Words were not needed. Becky understood, and her hope died again. She knew that Tom had a whole candle, and there must be a... Of three or four pieces in his pockets. Yet he must economize. By and by, fatigue began to assert its claims, and the children tried to pay attention. For it was dreadful to think of sitting down uh, when time was grown to be so precious. Moving in some direction, in uh, any direction, was at least progress, and it might bear fruit. But to sit down was to invite death and shorten its pursuit. At last... Becky's feral limbs uh, refused to carry her any further. Oh, she sat down. Tom rested with her, and they talked of home. And of the friends there, and the comfortable beds, and above all, the light. Becky cried, and Tom tried to think of some way of comforting her, but all his encouragements were grown threadbare with use. And sounded like uh, 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 sarcasms. Fatigue bore so heavily upon Becky that she was doused off to sleep. Tom was grateful. He sat looking into her drawn face and saw it grow smooth and natural under the influence of pleasant dreams. By and by, a smile dawned and rested there. Uh, the peaceful face reflected somewhat of uh, peace and healing into its own spirit, and his thoughts wandered away to bygone times and dreamy memories. While he was deep in his musings, uh, Becky woke up with a breezy little laugh, but it was stricken dead upon her lips, and a groan followed it. Oh, how could I sleep? I wish I never... Never had waked. No, no, I don't, Tom. Don't look so. I won't say it again. I'm glad you slept, Becky. You'll feel rested now. We'll find our way out. We could try, Tom, but I've had such a beautiful country in my dream. I reckon we're going there. Uh, maybe not. Uh, maybe not. Uh, cheer up, Becky, uh, and let's go on trying. They rose up, wandered along, hand in hand, and hopeless. They tried to estimate how long it had been in the cave, but... All they knew was that it seemed days and weeks, 
and yet it was plain that this could not be, for their candles uh, were not gone yet. A long time after this, they could not tell how long, Tom said that they must go softly and listen for dripping water. Uh, They must find a spring. They found one presently, and Tom said it was time to rest again. Both were cruelly tired, yet Becky said that she thought she could go a little further. Uh, She was surprised to hear Tom descend. She could not understand it. Now they sat down, and Tom fastened his candle to the wall in front of them with some clay, and, and thought it was soon busy. Nothing was said for some time. Then Becky broke the silence. Oh, Tom, I'm so hungry. Tom took something out of his pocket. Do you remember this? Said he. Becky almost smiled. That's our wedding cake, Tom. Yes. I wish it was as big uh, as a barrel, uh, for it's all we've got. I saved it from the picnic for us to dream on, Tom. Uh, The way grown-up people do with wedding cake. But it'll be our... She dropped the sentence where it was. Tom divided the cake and Becky ate with good appetite. While Tom nibbled at his moiety, there was abundance of cold water to finish the feast with. Ah, by and by, there's that again. Becky suggested that they were to move on again. Tom was silent a moment. Then he said, "Uh, Becky, uh, can you bear it if I tell you something? Becky's face paled, but she thought she could. Well then, Becky, we must stay here. There's water to drink, and that little piece is our last candle. Becky gave loose to tears and wailings. Tom did what he could to comfort her, but with little effect. At length, Becky said, Tom! Well, Becky, they'll miss us and hunt for us. Yes, they will. Certainly they will. And maybe they're hunting for us now, Tom. Why, I reckon maybe they are. I hope they are. When will they miss us, Tom? Well, when they get back to the boat, I reckon. Tom! It might be dark then. Would they notice we hadn't come? Oh, I don't know. But anyway, your mother would miss you as soon as they got home. A frightened look in Becky's face brought Tom to his senses, and he saw that he had made a blunder. Becky was not to have gone home that night. The children became silent and thoughtful. In a moment, a new burst of grief from Becky showed Tom that the thing in his mind had stuck to hers also. Is this cat finding more mice? Ugh. I'm at the pause. Ugh. This cat is freaking me out. Come here, buddy. Are you my tiny little mouse hunter? He's running around like he's chasing after something, and now he's purring and licking his lips, which is disturbing. Hi, buddy. How are you doing? Can you hear him? Let's see if we can get the cat heard. There you go. The sound of a proud cat. Back to where I left off. Oh, now he's acting like he sees something again. The children fastened their eyes upon their bit of candle and watched it melt slowly and piteously away. Saw the half inch of wick and stand alone at last. Saw the feeble flame rise and fall. Climb the thin column of smoke, linger at its top a moment, and then the horror of utter darkness reigned. How long afterward it was that Becky came to a slow consciousness uh, that she was crying in Tom's arms. Neither could tell. All they knew was that after that seemed a mighty stretch of time, both awoke out of a dead stupor of sleep and resumed their miseries once more. Tom said, uh, it might be Sunday now, uh, maybe Monday. He tried to get Becky to talk, uh, but her sorrows were too oppressive. All of her hopes were gone. 
Tom said that they must have been missed long ago, and no doubt the search was going on. He would shout, and maybe someone would come. Oh, he tried it, but in the darkness, the distant echoes sounded so hideously that he tried it no more. The hours wasted away, and a hunger came to torment the captives again. A portion of Tom's half of the cake was left. They divided it, uh, and they ate it. But they seemed hungrier than before, the poor morsel of food, only wedded desire. By and by, I said again, Tom said, Shh, do you hear that? Both held their breath and listened. There was a sound like the faintest, far-off shout. Instantly, Tom answered it, and leading Becky by the hand, he started groping down the corridor in its direction. Presently, he listened again, and again the sound was heard, and apparently a little nearer. Ah, it's them, said Tom. They're coming. Come along, Becky. Uh, We're all right now. The joy of the prisoners was almost overwhelming. Their speed was slow, uh, however, because pitfalls were somewhat common, and had to be guarded against. They shortly came to one and had to stop. It might be three feet deep, uh, it might be a hundred, but there's no passing it at any rate. Tom got down on his breast and reached as far as down as he could go. No bottom. They must stay there and wait until the searchers came. They listened. Evidently, the distant shoutings were growing more distant. Oh, a moment or two, and they had gone altogether, the heart sinking with misery of it. Tom whooped until he was hoarse. Ah, but it's no use. He talked, hopefully, to Becky, but an age of anxious waiting passed with no sounds came again. The children groped their way back to the spring. The weary time dragged on. They slept again and woke, famished and woe-stricken. Tom believed it must be Tuesday by this time. Now an idea struck him. There were some side passages uh, near at hand. It'd be better to explore some of these than bear the weight of the heavy time and idleness. He took a kite line from his pocket and tied it to a projection. And he and Becky started, Tom in the lead, unwinding the line as he groped along, and at the end of twenty steps the corridor ended in a jumping-off place. Tom got down on his knees and felt below. Then, as far around the corner as he could reach with his hands conveniently, he made an effort to stretch yet a little farther to the right. And at the moment, not twenty yards away, a human hand holding a candle appeared from behind a rock. Tom lifted up a glorious shout. And instantly that hand was followed by the body it belonged to. Injun Joe's. Oh, Tom was paralyzed. He could not move. He was vastly gratified for the next moment to see Spaniard take his heels and get himself out of sight. Tom wondered that Joe had not recognized his voice and come over and killed him for testifying in court. But the echoes must have disguised the voice. Without a doubt, that was it, he reasoned. Tom's fright weakened every muscle in his body. He said to himself that if he had strength enough to get back to the spring, he would stay there, and nothing should tempt him to run the risk of beating Injun Joe again. He was careful to keep Becky uh, from what he had seen. He told her he had only shouted, uh, for luck. Yeah, but hunger and wretchedness rise superior to fears in the long run. Another tedious wait at the spring and another long hour's sleep brought changes. The children awoke tortured with a raging hunger. Tom believed uh, that it must be Wednesday uh, or Thursday or even Friday or Saturday now and that the search had been given over. He proposed to explore another uh, passage and he felt willing to risk Injun Joe and all the terrors, but Becky was very weak. She had sunk into a dreary apathy and could not be roused. She said that she would wait now uh, where she was and die. It would not be long. She told Tom to go with the uh, kite line Sorry, my cat's digging around. Stop getting in drawers. You're done. Cut it out. 
This cat is ruining the show. I apologize that the cat is bringing down the quality of this show. Uh, apathy. If he chose, he's speak there. Uh, uh, made him promise that when the awful time came, he would stay by her and hold her hand until it was all over. Tom kissed her with a choking sensation in his throat and made a show of being confident of finding the searchers or an escape from the cave when he took the kite line in his hand and went groping down one of the passages on his hands and knees, distressed with hunger and sick with bodings of coming doom. Chapter 32 uh, Tuesday afternoon came and waned to the twilight. The village of St. Petersburg still mourned. The lost children had not been found. Public prayers had been offered up for them, and many and many a private prayer that had the petitioner's whole heart in it, but still no good news, came from the cave. The majority of the searchers had uh, given up the quest and gone back to their daily avocations, saying that it was plain the children could never be found. Miss Thatcher was very ill, and a great part of the time delirious. People said it was uh, heartbreaking to hear her call her child and raise her head and listen a whole minute at a time when it lay warily down again with a moan. Aunt Polly had uh, drooped and settled melancholy, and her gray hair had grown almost white. The village went on uh, to its rest on Thursday or Tuesday night, uh, sad and forlorn. Away in the middle of the night, a wild peal burst from the village bells, and in a moment the streets were swarming with frantic, half-clad people who shouted, "Uh, Turn out! Turn out! They're found! They're found! Tin pans and horns were added to the din, and population massed itself and moved toward the river, met the children coming in an open carriage drawn by shouting citizens, thronged around it, joined its homeward march, and swept magnificently up the main street, roaring huzzah after huzzah. Uh, the village was illuminated. Nobody went to bed again, and it was the greatest night the little town had ever seen. During the first half hour, a procession of villagers filed through uh, Judge Thatcher's house, seized and saved one, and kissed him. Squeezed Miss Thatcher's hand, tried to speak, uh, but uh, couldn't, and drifted out, uh, raining tears all over the place. Aunt Polly's happiness uh, was complete. Mrs. Thatcher's nearly so. It would be complete, however, soon, uh, as soon as the messenger dispatched with great news of the cave uh, should get word to her husband. Tom lay upon a sofa with an eager auditory about him and told the history of the wonderful adventure, putting in many striking additions to adorn it with all, and closed with a description of how he uh, left Becky and went on an exploring expedition, how he followed two avenues as far as uh, his kite line would reach, uh, how he followed a third to the fullest stretch of the kite line, and how he was about to turn back, and he glimpsed a far-off speck yeah, that looked like uh, daylight. Dropped the line, and groped toward it, pushed his head and shoulders through a small hole, uh, and saw the broad Mississippi rolling by. And if it had only been uh, happened to be night, he would not have seen that speck of daylight, and he would not have explored the passage anymore. He told how he went back for Becky and broke the good news, and she told him not to fret uh, with her as such stuff, uh, for she was tired, and she knew she was going to die, and wanted to. He described how he labored with her and convinced her, and how she almost died for joy when she groped to where she actually saw the blue speck of daylight. How he pushed his way out at the hole and then helped her out. How they sat there and cried for gladness. How some men ah, came along in a skip 
Tom hailed them and told them their situation and their famished condition, how the men didn't believe the wild tale at first because, said they, you're five miles down river below the valley of the cave is in. Then took them aboard, rode to a house, gave them supper, made them to rest till the two or three hours after dark, and then brought them home. Before day dawn, uh, Judge Thatcher, day dawn, Judge Thatcher and the handful of searchers with him were tracked out in a cave by the twine clues they had strung behind them and informed of the great news. Three days and nights of toil and hunger in the cave were not to be shaken off at once, and Tom and Becky Sue discovered they were bedridden all of Wednesday and Thursday and seemed to grow more and more tired and worn all the time. Tom got about a little on Thursday and was downtown Friday and nearly as whole as ever Saturday. Uh, Becky did not leave her room until Sunday, and then she looked as if she'd passed through a wasting illness. What? Stop yelling. Don't tell me you found another mouse. Uh, Tom learned of Huck's sickness and went to see him on Friday. But he could not be admitted to the bedroom. Neither uh, could he on Saturday or Sunday. He was admitted daily after that, but was warned to keep still about his adventure uh, and introduce no exciting topic. The widow Douglas stayed by to see that he obeyed. At home... Tom learned of the Cardiff Hill event, also that the ragged man's body had eventually been found in the river near the ferry landing and had been drowned while trying to escape, uh, perhaps. About a fortnight after Tom's rescue from the cave, he started off uh, to visit Huck, who had grown plenty strong enough now to hear exciting talk, and Tom had some uh, that would interest him, he thought. Judge Thatcher's house was on Tom's way, and he stopped to see Becky, the judge and some friends set Tom talking. What are you doing now? God, this cat's freaking me out. And if I wouldn't go to the cave again... Uh, sorry. I said the, 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 the talking. And someone asked him, ironically, if he wouldn't like to go to the cave again. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Tom said he thought he wouldn't mind it. The judge said, well, there are others just like you, Tom. I have not the least doubt, but we have taken care of that. Nobody will get lost in that cave anymore. Uh, why? Because I had its big door sheathed with a boiler iron two weeks ago and triple locked, and I've got the keys. Ooh, Tom turned as white as a sheet. Uh, what's the matter, boy? Here, run, somebody, fetch a glass of water. The water was brought and thrown into Tom's face. Ah, you're all right. What's the matter with you, Tom? Oh, Judge, Injun Joe's in the cave. That's quite the way to end that. We're on chapter 33. How many more chapters do we got? <gasps> Two more. Next episode is the final episode. Oh, boy. Well, there you go. The Adventures of the Caves with Tom Sawyer. And they're bringing Injun Joe back into it. Uh, I'm a little sad. I have one more episode to go and I'm done with this book. Uh, it is. Uh, it feels like it's tied to summer because I've been reading this for months now. But uh, yeah, one more episode left to go. What's going to happen? They've escaped the caves. Injun Joe's trapped in there with the Spaniard. Uh, how does this tie into what I said earlier? No idea. I've uh, had a, a weekend of uh, some sort of social life and... Uh, now it's, uh, I'm dealing with mice. 
Hmm. And a cat that won't stop running around. Scaring me. He just did it again. He took off and ran like he saw something. He did see something. Oh, God, I got to get out of this basement. All right, well, I don't know how to tie this in with said earlier, and uh, I'm getting freaked out about uh, mice crawling around my basement, and I want to get out of here. So with that, uh, thanks for listening, and I will see you next week.